Come on, New Hope, would you welcome all of the campuses at all of our campus locations? Just celebrate the movement. If you're new around here, we are one church in many locations, and we just love all you guys at all of our campus locations. I am not teaching today. You are in for another great treat. He was here last week, and I wasn't even going to get up today, but I do want to explain a situation that has happened to my brother, Mike Bro. Now, for those of you who um, you're like, man, bro is around here a lot, and I love it. Somebody just said to me in the rotunda, they, they, they said, Pastor, did we get him? <laughs> And I'm like, we, we've actually had him. Uh, if you don't know this, uh, Mike Bro is officially uh, a teaching pastor of our church. What he does is he, he contracts out with five different churches around the country. And he preaches at those churches pretty much every weekend. I think last year or this year, he was telling me he'll, he'll preach 50 times. We get, him, we get him five or six times this year. And he is a gift from the Lord for our church. And I hear that. I hear that all the time. And um, man, I, I said this last week and he would never want me to say this, but like it's, it's, it's reality. So I'm going to speak it. Um, he is without a doubt, one of my favorite teachers to listen to and, and learn from. He was my pastor when I was in Kentucky uh, between 2000 and 2002, getting ready to start New Hope Church. So I consider him a, a dear friend, uh, one of my pastors, and an incredible communicator. But the reason I'm up here today is I need you to show him some really, really good New Hope love and encouragement because bro has had a bad 24 hours. He, and I, I've been where he is today. Like, this has happened to me. Um, I didn't have to, I didn't have to, I didn't have to preach in the clothes that he's preaching in. I had time to go out to a store, but he, he flew into Charlotte yesterday and then he was flying to Wilmington because he's a good dad and he's going to spend this week in Wilmington with his boys playing golf, his three boys. So he gets to Charlotte. That flight is delayed by like four or five hours or whatever. They finally get him into Charlotte. I mean, Wilmington where he's going to be with his boys. And I think it was around four o'clock this morning and his luggage did not arrive. And so, bro, is making sure you practice what our church has always said. You got it. You got it. Say it with me. Come as you are. And the, hey, hey, hey. Woo! And the, and the fact that you just said that blesses me like you have, you knew it immediately. And besides, bro, I'm just telling you, you got some good looking legs, man. Give it up for Mike, bro. I'm so, uh, I'm so glad that I get to teach and come as you are places because this is who I are. This is it. All I got. And uh, I even had to stop at Walgreens this morning and buy some toothpaste. So it's uh, uh, just been a, been a crazy, uh, crazy time. But if that's the worst of my troubles, then I got a blessed life. So I'm, just, I'm glad to be here with you guys. I love getting to come. Wish I could come more often. Hey, uh, we're, we're in this little series we're calling Assassins, talking about things that can take us out. And the next two weeks, Benji's going to be talking about two big ones, uh, talking about envy, talking about anger. Uh, last weekend... Uh, we kind of talked about public enemy number one. Anybody know what we talked about last week? Are you here? Talked about pride, right? Uh, if you missed it, you, you can check it out online. But it is, it is a, uh, 
a really, really tough assassin. Uh, also last weekend, I got to go see uh, Avengers Endgame. Anybody else seen that yet? Yeah, it, it's a, I'm, I'm not a big uh, uh, Marvel fan. I, I don't know all the characters, but the whole crew is there. Like Iron Man, and you got Incredible Hulk, and Captain America, and Captain Marvel, and the Black Panther, and, and the, this big and bad villain uh, named Thanos. Uh, now, I'm not, I'm not a big superhero fan, but WWF? That's a different story now. Uh, now, although I do, I, I admit that it is about as real as Marvel superheroes, uh, my boys were into it big time uh, when they were little kids. Anybody else had kids or loved WWF, wrestling, those, those, those big dudes? I'll never forget one time I walked into a public restroom at a Cracker Barrel restaurant. And these two little boys are, are washing their hands at the sink. And I walked past them. They looked in the mirror and saw me walk past them. At the time, I had a shaved head and a goatee. And I walked into a stall and I heard one of the little boys go, that was Stone Cold Steven Austin. <laughs> and I thought, man, if I took my shirt off right now, they'd be so disappointed. <laughs> so disappointed. But back in the day, man, there were some big, intimidating guys. You got, you got the Hulkster, you know, Hulk Hogan. You had uh, Macho Man snapping to a Slim Jim. Uh, so Randy Savage, the ultimate warrior. Anybody remember that guy? My, my kids loved that. You had The Rock, who was still, still a big dude. Uh, the Bushwhackers, these crazy guys. Uh, Nature Boy, Ric Flair. And does anybody remember this guy? Now, I like, I like this guy better as Fezzik in Princess Bride. Anybody remember this guy? He was Andre... The giant, right? Now, you know who Shaq is, right? Shaquille O'Neal. I saw this picture a while back of Shaquille O'Neal with Yao Ming, who used to also play in the NBA. Now, remember, Shaq is 7'1", weighs 350 pounds, and has a size 22 shoe. Look at Yao Ming. That's a big man right there. Uh, a few summers ago, I did a series uh, called When Pigs Fly, and it was loosely based on Pete Wilson's four phases of a dream, and maybe you've seen this before, kind of the way when you have a dream, this is kind of what you go through. First of all, you're, you're aware, you become aware. You know what, that's a passion in, inside of me. That's what I really wanna do with my life. Second phase is you encounter some opposition, like, oh, I didn't see that coming. And then you endure some difficulties where you go, this is gonna take a lot longer than I, than I thought, this is gonna be a lot harder than I thought it was gonna be. And then the final, the fourth phase is you just learn to surrender. Uh, not, not to give up, but surrender to God's leadership. Say, God, you know what? In order for me to pull off this dream, I'm gonna have to surrender to your better wisdom and your deeper love and your direction. I need you to shine a light on my path. God, I'm gonna need your strength to pull this off. Now, it doesn't always go exactly like that, but most of the time, once you become aware of a dream inside of you and you start to get really, really excited of what God might do in your life, Shaq shows up. <laughs> Yao Ming, the Hulk, Thanos, Andre the Giant shows up. I'm talking giant obstacles in the way of your dreams. And those giants may try to taunt us and intimidate us and make us feel tiny and insignificant. And they want us to get, get us talking to ourselves, saying, man, what was I thinking? A guy like me, a girl like, girl like me, I... I can never do something like that. I mean, that challenge is just, it's just insurmountable. I mean, that's just way too big for me. You know what, life, life will just never be any different. Now, some giants just show up out of nowhere. When you're kind of cruising through life 
and you get a devastating diagnosis or, or maybe you suffer a heart attack or you have the discovery of unfaithfulness in a relationship or perhaps a layoff or a big time a financial hit or some other kind of tragedy that seems just like to, to come out of the blue, this giant thing happens to you. But then there are other giants that we actually invited into our life. Now, of course, we had no clue they planned on staying around for so long. We didn't think they would end up stealing our freedom and jeopardizing our dreams, but they did. Some giants have even taken over our thoughts, consumed our time, paralyzed us with fear. And here's the thing about giants. Giants always take up too much room. Giants always take up too much room in our lives. Well, his name was David. You know his story in the Bible. You might have even heard of this guy. When we first meet David in the Bible, he's a teenage sheep herder. In fact, when we first meet him, he introduces himself as the least of my family. Now, David's got some studly brothers. I mean, I'm talking first round lottery pick kind of guys. And out of all of them, David is chosen by God as the number one overall draft pick. The least likely in the family is anointed to be the next king of Israel. Now that's pretty heady stuff for like a freshman in high school. But this kid has got his head on straight and this kid's got a super humble heart. When he finds out he's gonna be king, he doesn't run out and start trying on robes and crowns and tweeting out, hey, at King Saul, coming for your throne, big guy. None of that stuff. You know what David does? He goes right back to his low life job attending sheep. And the cool thing is this, he didn't see his job as a low-life job. By, by the way, this is so critical. For you and I to remain humble and faithful in whatever God has us doing right now. Even though you may have these big dreams, these other dreams, it's so important just to bloom where you're currently planted and let him teach you and shape you and mold you and chisel you and develop character inside of you. I think back to all the jobs I've had and some of the jobs I have are just these crummy, low-paying, physically hard, fraught with difficult people kind of jobs where I thought, this is not where I want to be the rest of my life. But I tell you this, all of them shaped me in some way for what I'm currently doing with my life. I, I think back to when I started mowing yards as a kid. It taught me to always take pride in your work, to stand back and go, man, that, that looks good. I worked at a full-service gas station when I was in college. It taught me how to just be friendly with people, and the customer service uh, really, really matters. I worked at a, at a, at a, at a uh, uh, steakhouse where I grilled steaks, and guess what I do these days? I grill steaks for all the company. that, we, that we, My wife with this hospitality gift, I'm always at the grill. I worked at a golf course that had these, these people that worked there that had these really weird family dynamics going on. It taught me about conflict resolution. I used to load trucks all day long at a feed mill, like tons and tons of feed on these trucks, and I worked with some of the most vile, dirty-talking guys I've ever met in my life. And it gave me a deep, deep love for guys like that. People far from God, that's who I wanna hang out with. I, I was a janitor at a grade school and it taught me that you're never too good to mop floors. I was, a, I was a high school basketball referee and it taught me a lot about leadership that every time you make a call as a leader, someone thinks you're an idiot. I learned that as a referee, that's just true. 
I was a carpenter and it revealed to me that I love the work with my hands and I love to craft and build things and it's served me well in flipping houses through the years for our family and plus I, I got to be a part of a whole, I got to be a part of leading the whole crew into a relationship with God with my first carpentry job and I thought to myself after that job as a 22 year old guy, I'm thinking no matter where I work, that's what I want to do with my life. So I'm just saying this, before you dream about all these next big things, just be like David and do the next thing. Be faithful in just the little things because in reality, they're all big things. And we've talked about this before, how God is always working behind the scenes and he's using all the difficult people, all the, all the delays, all the disappointments, and he's shaping and he's molding, he's preparing us for something more. And I'm just guessing, as God was molding David out there in those pastures, there were days he sat on a hillside, he dreamed. He dreamed me. Wow, me, come on, me? Me, the king? The king, King David, King David, King David, King David. It sounds so weird to me, really. I wonder how long it's gonna be before I'm king. I wonder what it's gonna be like to be king. Now, if you've read the Bible or even if you've never read the Bible, you probably know that there was a giant standing in the way of those dreams. There always is. And the fear of that giant can keep you and me paralyzed and rob our dreams, God's dreams for us. Well, we, we talked about this last year in our Overwhelmed uh, series. You might remember some of these phobias, like hydrophobia is the fear of water. Uh, you got uh, isolophobia, that's the fear of being alone. Uh, agoraphobia, that's the fear of crowded public places. Uh, aviophobia, that's the fear of flying, which I have after yesterday. There is a, a, there, there's actually one called palatophobia. That's the fear of bald people. It's a real phobia. There's another real phobia called homilophobia. That's the fear of sermons. Well, what about this one? Palatahomilophobia, that's the fear of bald guys that do sermons. I made, I made that one up. But there are 536 documented and medicated phobias. And some are kind of funny and weird, but there are other fears. There are other fears that reside inside all of us that aren't so funny. Fears that keep us doing what we know we want to do. Fears that keep us from being who we know God wants us to be. Fears that just keep us paralyzed and stuck. Fears that want to take us out. When was a time where you were just scared to death? Can you remember a time where your heart was about to beat out of your chest? I've had more than a few. Well, can you imagine a fear in the hearts of nine-year-old boys? It was a snowy winter day in Lexington, Kentucky, where I grew up. And we had a, we had a snow day. And there was uh, uh, Mark and Tommy and Pete and Jeff and Eddie and Steve and Danny and, and, and me. And we were, we were playing the age-old game of see how many cars you could bomb with snowballs. We, don't, don't do this, kids. But, but we, we, did, we did this, and, and being the brave guys we were, we went behind Mark's house, and Tommy was the oldest, and he went across the street, and he would tell us, here comes a car. And then we would throw snowballs over the house and they would come out of nowhere and hit these unsuspecting motorists and boom, 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 all over these cars. We were just having a blast. You imagine how jacked up we got when Tommy goes, motorcycle. Oh man, we packed up these snowballs and we ran to the side of the house and we just bombed this flash of leather and chrome as he was going past us. Much to our dismay, he stopped. Much more to our dismay, he got off. 
And this dude was the biggest, meanest mass of humanity I've ever seen in my life. This dude was humongous, especially to nine-year-old boys. And I mean, he had, I remember, I remember it so vividly. He was all black leather. Uh, he had like a big red bushy beard coming out from under his helmet was his red curly hair. He reached in the back of his bike in the satchel and pulled out this big stick, this club. He starts walking down the street and it's because it's cold, it's like smoke is coming out of his nostrils. <laughs> He's smacking that stick in his hand. And we're looking at him and we're going, oh my goodness. So we, we decided, we, we, gotta, we gotta get a plan. So we huddled together and we devised a plan. Run, man, we ran as fast as we could possibly run back, to, back behind Steve's garage and we hid in this fort that we'd made, knowing that he was waiting on each one of our beds to kill each one of us that night. We, can you imagine the fear in the hearts of nine-year-old boys on, on this day? Well, can you imagine the fear in the hearts of the Israelite army as they're camped on this side of the Valley of Elah. And the Philistine army is camped on this side of the Valley of Elah. And this humongous mass of humanity, this giant warrior starts talking trash, starts to mock God. He goes, come on down here. Your God is nothing. Your God is weak. Send your best down here to fight me. And if I win, you will become our slaves. But if you win, which is not going to happen, we will serve you. And it says upon every time hearing Goliath, this giant's words, that King Saul and the Israelites were terrified and deeply shaken. You ever been terrified? Deeply shaken? So David, this freshman shepherd, shows up with food and supplies for his brave brothers in the army, and it happens again. The guy comes out, and he says, your God is weak, your God is nothing. Come down here, let's fight. And David nudges his brothers and says, why didn't somebody go shut that guy up? And he said, well, no, nobody's going to do it. He goes, well, I'll fight him. He goes, you can't fight him. You're not even supposed to be here. Take your Tupperware and go home. He goes, no, no, I want to fight that guy. I want to fight that guy. So David goes and talks to King Saul. And says, I want to fight that guy down in the valley. And Saul kind of patronizes him and pats him on the head and stuff, you know. And, but David doesn't back down. He goes, sir, I know, I know, I know I don't look like much. But you need to know, I spend my days watching sheep. I protect a whole flock of them. And one time, a bear came into the camp and tried to pick off one of my sheep. And sir, he didn't attack me. I attacked him. And I grabbed him by the hair and I killed that bear. There was another time a lion did the same thing and grabbed one of my sheep. And I went after that lion. I beat the living daylights out of that lion. And I got my sheep back. Sir, I may have a lot of shortcomings, but the one thing I'm not is afraid. And then David makes it very clear. You see, I didn't do any of that on my own. You need to know, sir, God is with me. God is with me on those hillsides that he made. And I see every day how he leads his sheep in the green pastures where there's just enough grass for that day. I see his stars come out every single night and the heavens declare how big he is. And sir, he is so much bigger than that guy. And I know he's on my side. Well, Saul sees this kid is not gonna be denied. He says, all right, you want a shot? Nobody else wants a shot. Let's get you suited up. And he puts all of his personal armor on David. But it swallows David up. He says, King, no disrespect, but you're like a double XL. I'm like a medium. This feels awkward. This is really cumbersome. None of this stuff fits me. I'm going to need to do this the way I'm used to. I'm pretty quick. 
And I'm really pretty good with a sling. Shepherds from the tribe that David was a part of had a reputation for being like expert marksmen with a stone and a sling. So David gets out the weapons he knew. He got out his shepherd's staff, grabs a slingshot, and he walks down to the valley of Elah, the brook of Eli, grabs five smooth stones from the water, and he starts toward Goliath. Now Goliath was a professional warrior, a trained assassin. And everything about this dude was intimidating. The Bible says he was nine and a half feet tall. Can you imagine being nine and a half feet tall? Like blocking shots in basketball with your head? Like get that out of here, I mean it's crazy. Uh, It it says in scripture that his coat, the coat coat that he wore weighed 150 pounds. They were like uh, scales of brass, uh, plates of uh, of brass laid together in scale-like fashion that formed this coat. His coat alone weighed 150 pounds. Some of you don't weigh 150 pounds. His, His coat did. The head on his iron javelin, just the head of his javelin, weighed 15 pounds. And there he stands in the valley of Elah, a mass of brass, the master of disaster, the eruption of destruction. Sorry, got a little carried away. Goliath. And here comes David. And Goliath starts laughing. He sneers and he yells at David. He goes, Come on, am, I a, am I a dog? That you send a little kid down here with a stick? And he began to curse David by the names of his God. He says, come here, boy. I'm going to give your flesh to the birds of the air and your bones to the beast of the field. Well, that would have been enough for me right there. I said, no, sir, I just came to get your autograph. Just sign my hat. I'm going to run right back up there to the camp. But not David. David looks him square in the belly button. <laughs> and check this out. Look what he said. I'm going to read it directly from Scripture. You come to me with your sword and your spear and your javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Today, the Lord will conquer you, and I will kill you and cut off your head. And then I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And everyone assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people, but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. And while everyone else saw Goliath as way too big to hit, David saw him as way too big to miss. And he got that sling going and he's singing, it's your breath in my lungs. So I pour out my praise. I pour out my great are you Lord. And he let it fly. And David with the marksmanship skill of a shepherd, he lets that rock fly. It hits Goliath between the eyes. He falls face down. He takes Goliath's own sword and kills him. And the Israelite army takes off running and everything he said would happen, happened that day. I mean, it's the ultimate underdog story. And gang, I believe it's included in the Bible because it's a part of the history of God's people, but also because I believe that God wants you and me to know that the giants in our life, the ones that demoralize us and taunt us and paralyze us with fear, the ones that threaten to wreck our dreams and take our families down and wreck our lives, listen, with his help, they can all go down. 
So let me ask you this. What's your giant? What's standing in the way of your freedom? What's standing in the way of your dreams? What's standing in the way of your, of your joy? What's standing in the way of God's plans for you? Because I'm guessing as soon as we started talking about giants today, something came to your mind. And the reason it did is because it's still hanging around. I mean, through the years, I have had to identify and go to battle with several giants that just kept picking fights with me. Whether it's lust or insecurity or pride or envy or fear, I don't know, what's it for you? Maybe there's a giant addiction in your life where you say it's no big deal, but you can't stop. Or maybe it's a giant memory, a giant of anger. Maybe it's resentment or, or bitterness that taunts you every day or a giant of anxiety, a giant of shame. And, and, and the fear of confronting that giant just keeps you terrified and deeply shaken. And if you notice that giants not only take up too much room, they don't take a day off either. Just like Goliath, man, they show up every day for 40 days. They are relentless. They keep messing with you, harassing you, trash talking you every day. I'm just guessing that some of you might've gotten a little fired up during the past few months here at, at, at New Hope. I mean, maybe on Easter or maybe even last weekend, you walked out here just full of hope and you're ready to live with confidence. You say, you know what? I am gonna start trusting God. There's gonna be a lot less of me and a lot more of him because I believe he is greater than anything. I have access to resurrection power. You know what? I'm gonna chase my dreams. I'm gonna look at my job with a different perspective. I'm gonna make some changes in my relationships. And then you walked out in the parking lot and the giant was waiting for you, leaning up against your car. What's up? So you really think you're gonna beat me? <laughs> you? You're never gonna get through this. Come on, you're kidding yourself. You will never change. This is just who you are and how it's always gonna be. You know what, you're too weak, you're too small. Face it, you are just pathetic. You can't do this. I don't even know why you show up for the fight. Face it, you're gonna be in bondage to me the rest of your life, boo. Giants are real and they're relentless. What's yours? But can I ask you a more significant question? Do you believe this equation? God is greater than your giants? I mean, do you really believe that? That God is greater than your giants? See, that was the difference between all the other men who trembled and ran away and David. He really believed this. He knew that courage comes from living life in the hands of God. That courage comes from living life in the hands of God. And remember, this kid wasn't in the category of like the spiritually elite. He was an ordinary skinny freshman shepherd who just spent time with God in the pastures. And he stared up at those scars, stars in the night sky and he believed that the God who could create the Milky Way was capable of doing anything. And he felt the spirit of God move powerfully in his life and he knew that God was with him. So instead of running away in fear, instead of staying stuck like everybody else, David identified his giant and he moved toward him. And the reason I ask you what your giant was is because some of us choose to pretend it's not there or it's not real 
or we've grown so accustomed to it that we treat it like an old buddy that we like to hang out with instead of a deadly assassin that needs to be defeated. And maybe today you just need to resolve in your heart like David did, like I've had to do, like many in this room have done. You know what? Enough. This giant will no longer intimidate me. It's not going to own me. It's not going to keep me in bondage anymore. I'm not shrinking back. I'm not going to be terrified or deeply shaken. I will not run away. I will move toward my giant today, relying on God's strength and not my own. I got to baptize a group of teenage girls from a rehab center not long ago. It was so cool. About six or seven teenage girls standing in the water together, and each of them told me their story. There was like one girl who was uh, one year uh, clean and sober, Another one had like 90 days. Another one said she had 27 days. One said I just six days. And uh, as I stood there in the water, like fighting back my own tears, I was just realizing they are learning that perfect love drives out fear. And I was so proud of their courage and their humility because you know what they were saying in that water? They were saying to their giant, I'm tired of you bullying me around and stealing my dreams and messing with my life. You don't get to do all the talking anymore. I've heard all your taunts. I've heard your trash talk and you've been here long enough and it's time for you to shut up. And besides, what do you got? A spear, a javelin, a sword, a syringe, a bottle, a mirror, a memory. That all you got will hear this. I come against you in the name of the Lord God Almighty. And I'm not going to live with you taking up so much room in my life, in my head, in my family anymore. With the power of God, I'm coming for you. And moving toward our giants may look different for every one of us. It might just mean that you show up here every weekend. I mean, like every weekend. It, it might mean as you get in a small group with other men and women, you get some positive, life-changing truth into your heart and head every day. It could, could, be, could be for you checking into rehab or maybe walking into your first recovery meeting or, or getting help with your relationships or with your finances. But all of us have to decide, I'm moving toward the giant. I'm not running away from it any longer. I'm not living in fear anymore. So let me just ask you a potentially life-changing question. Somebody asked me this question many years ago. It was a life-changing question for me. What would you do if you weren't afraid? I mean, what would you do right now if you weren't afraid? Well, that's a big, big question right there. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard, heard a story about, you know, proms coming up. You already had prom around here? Uh, you know, prom is a cool thing. I heard about a young guy that was going to ask a girl to prom, and he went into a candy store, and he told the guy behind the counter, he said, listen, I want a $5 box, a $10 box, and a $20 box. The guy goes, why do you want three boxes of candy? He goes, well, this, this girl, really, she's really hot. I mean, I think she's awesome. And if, if she lets me hold her hand, I'm going to give her a $5 box of candy. If she lets me put my arm around her, I'm going to give her a $10 box of candy. If she lets me, like, make out with her, I'm going to give her a $20 box of candy. That's his plan. So he goes to the house to pick her up and she goes, come on in. My folks have fixed dinner. So he comes in and sits down at the dinner table and he goes, let me, let me pray. And he prays for the meal, this eloquent prayer. And the girl nudges him and says, I didn't know you were so spiritual. He said, I didn't know your dad owned a candy store. <laughs> there are legitimate times to be afraid.
You know, fear, uh, <laughs> fear is one of the most basic instincts of every living creature. An animal without fear will become a predator's lunch. I mean, fear is a natural response when our physical or psychological well-being is, is, is threatened. I mean, rational fears are rooted in truth and are learned for survival. Then there are those phobias that we talked about, irrational fears that are rooted in false perception and lies. And for an object to be considered a legitimate fear object, it has to be perceived as both potent and present. It's gotta have both those qualities. It's gotta be potent and present for it to be a legitimate fear object. For instance, uh, poisonous snakes are legitimate fear objects, right? Anybody afraid of, afraid of those things? Even though thinking about them right now is a little creepy, there's no real fear of snakes right now because none are present. But if one slithered in right now, it would be both potent and present, making it a legitimate fear object. However, if the snake was dead, there's no real reason to be afraid because it's no longer a legitimate fear object because it's lost one of the two attributes. It's present, but it's no longer potent. It's one of the reasons it was so cool to celebrate just a couple of weeks in, weekends ago on Easter to celebrate the truth of eternal life, to know that Jesus Christ kicked the end out of the tomb and made it a tunnel from life to life to anyone who will trust him. Oh, death is still imminent. I mean, it's still present. The gang is no longer potent. It's been rendered powerless. Therefore, it no longer qualifies as a legitimate fear object. And if you're not afraid to die, then you're not afraid to live. I mean, really live. And you're not afraid to face your giants. It says this in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and self-discipline. We may feel fear, but God didn't give us that spirit of fear. God has wired us up with automatic fear responses, like the two we come into the world with, the fear of loud noises, and the fear of falling. And then there is discernment that we learn along the way, sometimes the hard way, that instill in us a healthy respect for things like fire, and sharks, and Duke fans. But that's different. That's different than the spirit of fear. God did not give us that, that's irrational. It's something that you and I manufacture and carry around with us in our spirit that keeps us from being all that we can be. Courage comes from living life in the hands of God. Amen. David was a shepherd, he was a warrior, eventually a king, but he was a musician at heart. An awesome songwriter. You ought to read some of the songs he wrote. They're in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament part of the Bible. I love some of these, what he would later write, like in Psalm 56, where he said, when I'm afraid, when I'm afraid, recognizing sometimes we get afraid, I will put my trust in you. I praise God for what he has promised. I trust in God. So why should I be afraid? I mean, what can mere mortals, no matter how big they are, do to me? Psalm 27, verse one, he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? Psalm 91, he wrote, those who live in the shelter of the Most High will find rest in the shadow of the Almighty. Psalm 46, God is our refuge and our strength, always ready to help in times of trouble. So we will not fear when earthquakes come and mountains crumble into the sea. Let the oceans roar and foam. Let the mountains tremble as the waters surge. And I don't know, maybe thinking back 
to that famous encounter with Goliath in the Valley of Eli, he sat down and wrote these words, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And I love what he says in Psalm 16, verse eight. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. And I love that. You just say to your giant, you, know, you wanna know why I'm not shaken? Because I'm not looking at you. My eyes are always on the Lord. I'm focused on someone who is so much bigger than you. Listen, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a slow learner, but I've learned enough in my life now to know that we can't take down the giants in our life on our own strength. We need, we need the strength of God who can step in and, and fight our battles for us. Uh, and that strength is there for the asking every single day of your life. You just roll out of bed and say, God, again today, I want to live in the awareness of your power and your presence. I want to lean on you throughout the day. A few weeks ago, Benji showed the story of my good friend, Keith. Some of you may remember the video story about uh, Keith, and who was in the porn industry and all kinds of addictions. I mean, some big time giants in his life. And these days, Keith, I, I wish you could meet him someday. It just... He's one of my best friends and just see what God has done in his life's been pretty phenomenal. But early on in the process, I would text Keith just about every day when he's working through sobriety. I would say, man, day 17, you know, day 36, day, day 93, you know, just every day I would just text him. And he calls me up one day, goes, bro, you keep telling me that I need to surrender to God every day. I need to roll out of bed and ask God for help every single day. I, and I'm, I'm new at this. So see if you think this is stupid. At, at nighttime, um, I, I tell you, I, 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 I set my alarm on my phone to get up in the morning. So I've been setting my alarm on my phone up and putting it in my slipper. Then I slide my slippers under the bed. That way when the, when the alarm goes off, the first thing I have to do is hit my knees and reach under the bed and turn my alarm off. So while I'm down there, I just go ahead and talk to God. I said, dude, that's not stupid. That's brilliant. I'm going to tell everybody to do that. Because when you invite God's strength into your life, Every single day, God's strength will move in your life and you'll be able to face your giants. I'm telling you, with God's power, Goliath can go down. So what do you say we face our fear and move toward our giants? Rely on God's strength and God's power. Let's pray together. Father, um, just wanna thank you so much for uh, the strength and power that comes when we um, hook up with you and Lord, I, I thank you for those times that David stood out there and sat out there on those hillsides and just looked up at the stars and thought, man, whoever did this can do anything. And God, maybe that's the key, is just spending so much time with you and walking every day in the awareness of your presence and your power in our life that we would just know that there's, there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to be to be riddled with, with all kinds of uh, worry and anxiety and, and fear that just keeps us paralyzed. But with your help, we can start taking some steps toward our giant and watch him fall. Father, thank you for that promise. And I pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.